This paid podcast is a partnership between Slate Studios, American Airlines, British Airways, and Visit Britain. I travel for discovery. I travel because there's still so much to see. To meet different kinds of people. And that's what I love about walking around old cities. That's why I travel. It gives you permission to be curious. From American Airlines, British Airways, and Visit Britain. This is I Travel For, a series about adventure. Oh my God. <laughs> curiosity. How in God's name did you find all these old recipes? And wonder. You know so much about this place, it's amazing. I'm Hattie Pearson, a DJ and radio presenter living and working in Manchester, England. In every episode, we follow an American traveler as they traverse Great Britain. But here's the twist. They didn't plan their own trips. We did. The locals. Let's hear all about it. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, so good to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I lo- I've always loved uh, Britain. I've always felt a real affinity for it. I just love being in new places and just walking around and just like, what does this place feel like as opposed to other cities I've been in or lived in and what are the people like here? This is amazing. We're off to Great Britain. Ali Lima is a native New Yorker and a lifelong Anglophile. To say Ali is an experienced traveller is an understatement. Not only has she written several travel guides, she's a true global citizen. She's put down roots in cities all around the world, from Melbourne to Prague. Ali has a special interest in the art, culture and communities that most guidebooks overlook. Her story starts off in Cardiff, the capital of Wales. Hi, my name's James Ramsgill. I'm a bar manager in Cozy Club in Cardiff. I... Love Cardiff. Cardiff's an amazing city. What I really want to talk about is Vedek Canary. Vedek Canary is a speakeasy off a beaten track. You're not going to stumble across it. And if I'm honest, even if you're looking for it, you might struggle. So you've got to really know where you're going. But their drinks are amazing. They're beautiful. The hospitality is amazing. All the guys there make you feel incredibly welcome. Yeah, check it out. It's a great place to go and visit. Cardiff's amazing. I hope to see you soon. Have a great time. Cheers. It's 8pm, and I've just gotten off the train at Cardiff Central Station. Since I passed the English border, I've been reading Welsh words on bilingual signs, trying to wrap my brain around the unfamiliar combination of too many consonants and apparently no vowels. Suddenly the station announcement switches to Welsh, and I'm struck by how utterly unable I am to decipher these sounds which are nothing like any other language I've ever studied. I've visited Britain many times, but for the first time, I actually feel like I'm in a foreign country. So I should, uh, I should say as well, Croeso 
So welcome to Cardiff. That's how we say that in uh, in Welsh. So. Thank you so much. Uh, once I have a drink in me, I will actually attempt <laughs> some Welsh. Well, I... we've got to do the Welsh uh, word for cheers, so we'll, we'll sort that out. I meet up with my local contact, Beth and Phillips. We're supposed to go to a bar together, but I don't see one. We're going to walk now up to a door which says fire exit, keep clear. Nice. And uh, this is the entrance to the dead canary. Oh, and I, there's, there's a, a birdcage above the... That's the only clue that there's something here. Ring my bell. All right, so, so ring this bell. Go on. All right, here we go. A woman opens the door and welcomes us in. It's just a plain, quiet hallway, until she leads us through a door on the other end, and suddenly we're in a bustling cocktail bar. It's dim, lit by string lights and small lamps. Vintage photographs hang on walls that are paneled with old wooden boxes. Bethan wastes no time in taking me down the list of cocktails. So we got uh, Goldfinger first and foremost, Dame Shirley Bassey. Which are all named after notable Welsh people. She's a huge sports fan, so she gets a drink named for the Welsh cyclist who had just won this year's Tour de France. I go for the drink that comes with fresh raspberries. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. What, what's your name? Uh, my name's Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Nice to meet you. Can I please have a Lancelot du Lac? Absolutely. Wow. He is making this cocktail very fast. This is, this is a man who makes a lot of cocktails. Okay, I am not kidding. Dylan just shook that cocktail shaker so fast, his arms were blurring. That is no joke. Your, your arms literally blurred. Is that sorry? Your arms were literally blurring. You were doing that so fast. That's why they're so big as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, now that we have our drinks, uh, we should cheers. So teach me how to say cheers in Welsh. Okay. So the phrase is yehida. Yehida. You nailed that. You nailed it. Oh, okay. All right. So yehida. Yehida. <laughs> Bethan's wearing her Cardiff City uniform shirt and tells me all about her favorite Welsh athletes, including a champion boxer named Joe Calzaghi. But I keep bringing the conversation back to language. Okay, okay so let me try saying welcome to Wales. Say, say it again a little slower. Okay. So, welcome to Wales is Croeso i Gymru. Croeso i Gymru. I learned that Welsh is an ancient language, very close to Irish and Scottish Gaelic, but it was almost stamped out by English-only education in the 19th century. Today, kids learn it in school, but still only about 20% of the population can really speak it. Like a lot of young people in Wales, Bethan wasn't raised speaking her mother tongue. I'm learning Welsh, um, and that's because I like to celebrate my identity. I like to celebrate being Welsh, you know. I like to ensure that I do what I can, really, to kind of enable the language to survive. I completely understand because uh, I'm Jewish and my grandparents emigrated to America and they only spoke Yiddish. Bethan hadn't heard of Yiddish, so I explained how it was the language of European Jews and how it had come close to dying out. And I actually took it in college as my language requirement, so I studied Yiddish for two years so I could speak it with my father because it was his first language. 
So I totally get what you mean about keeping the culture alive in this sort of, you know, even though it's not a language that's the, the majority uh, around you, but you still want to just sort of keep that, that flame going. Can you, can you teach me anything? Can you teach me a phrase in uh... Uh, In Yiddish? Uh, well, you can say, uh, oy vey, you may have heard that one. Oy vey! <laughs> there you go, that is perfect. I got off the train in a foreign country, but now I was starting to feel at home. The next morning, I head out of Cardiff to the St. Fagan's National Museum of History. It's an open-air site with 40 or so historic buildings that have been collected from all around Wales and reconstructed here. Good morning. Are you? I'm, I just learned how to say your name. Goranwy? Yeah, that's right. Ali. Ali? Yeah. That's right. Goranwy Jones is from an older generation and grew up in North Wales, where he was raised speaking Welsh as his native tongue. He's been living within Welsh culture his whole life. He sings in a Welsh choir and performs with a traditional dance troupe. Walking around the museum, I feel like I've stepped back in time. Goranwy shows me a medieval farmhouse, an Elizabethan manor house, a working 18th century woolen mill, and a quaint village green with a real maypole and 19th century stores, including the smallest post office in Wales. As we walk, Goranwy chats in Welsh with other museum workers. I'm so intrigued that I keep asking him to translate things for me. So there's a sign here that says, please mind the step in English. Could you read the Welsh for me? Yes, Wow, that's amazing. I have to show you the Italian garden. How do you, how do you say the Italian garden in Welsh? Uh, Soon we're standing in the Italian garden with high stone walls surrounding manicured shrubs and a low pool with fountains. I suddenly remember a Welsh word I've heard of that's, well, complicated. Oh, actually, could you can you say for me the name of the the village that's like the longest village name? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's amazing. Wait, wait. Can you say it? one one more time? It's true. That's a real town in northern Wales. The name has fifty eight letters. And and what does that translate to again? Wow. Now you. Um, <laughs> It's the Church of St. Mary down by the Whirlpool, uh, and it's also the Church of St. Cecilia. I mean, I'm not sure what the, uh, I, some say the Gogogoch at the end is the Red Cave. I looked it up later. It's the Church of St. Mary in the hollow of the White Hazel near the Rapid Whirlpool and the Church of St. Cecilio near a Red Cave. I'm just going to go past the mill okay. and see if he's grinding. We head to the museum's 160-year-old water mill which is still used to turn wheat into flour. Goranwy stops to chat with the museum's miller, Gadaint Thomas. I'm envious of their fluency. I used to be able to have basic exchanges in Yiddish with my dad, but it's been so long since I studied it that now I'm barely conversational. What an amazing thing to be completely bilingual in both English and an ancient yet still vibrant culture that's all around you. Could I get you guys to sing a song in Welsh? <laughs> <laughs> what can we sing? You know the anthem, My Hain Lodden Hadda? 
Ai hyn wlad fynhadau yn anwyl i mi. As I listened to them sing in this strange and beautiful language, I thought about how Welsh had survived centuries of conquest and suppression, how these people had to learn to speak English while watching their own language almost die out, and how familiar it felt to my own Jewish identity. So much of both of our heritages celebrates survival and being resilient and never forgetting who you are, and that after everything that's happened to you as a people, you're still here. And why talk about it when you can sing? And now a word from British Airways and American Airlines. Thinking of a vacation to London or beyond? Why not cross the Atlantic on British Airways or American Airlines and discover the incredible cities they fly to? Hi, my name's Matt Davis and I'm from Liverpool in the UK. My local recommendation for Ali has been a staple of Liverpool's music scene for almost 60 years, the Jacaranda Club on Slater Street. The Jacaranda has an incredible pedigree in terms of its place in rock and roll history. I think Ali will especially like it because it's got a contemporary feel, but it also has these strong links to Liverpool's Mersey Beat past. So Ali, I would definitely recommend Liverpool's Jacaranda Club as a place you want to visit when you're in Liverpool. Cheers. Okay, what's the first thing you think when I say Liverpool? Do any notable rock and roll bands from the 1960s come to mind? Well, that's the first thing I thought when I got off the train. In this town, the legends are everywhere. There's not one but two museums devoted to them, plus a dozen walking or bus tours. You can even visit their childhood homes. The bands that started the British invasion in the U.S. changed the sound of modern music 50 years ago. But I wanted to know more about music in Liverpool today. I had no interest in opening something that was a museum or that was in some way, you know, like a mausoleum. That's Graham Stanley. He's the managing director of the famous Jacaranda Club. It opened 60 years ago and earned its place in music history by helping to launch some of the biggest acts of all time. In 2012, the club had to close down, but there was a lot of pressure to reopen it because of its history. And even though many other local businesses play up their connection to the Liverpool icons... It didn't seem to have any place in... uh in my world, to want to open that business, um, but I finally connected with it when we were looking into the history. And I realised that what was actually going on in 1958, what was actually happening was a guy had a vision of trying to create a cultural hub where new acts could have a platform and a stage to perform on. And the bit for me that was exciting was, let's try and do it again. But the Jacaranda Club didn't just reopen as a club for live music. They also started a new label called Jacaranda Records. It's dedicated to signing new acts from around the region. Actually, my bookers gave me, I asked them to give me a list of of acts that we should be looking at in Liverpool that they thought were exciting. And I thought I was going to get a list of kind of 10 from one of my bookers and 10 from the other one. Uh, In total, they gave me a list of 72 bands to listen to. 
if that gives you an idea of like how big the scene is in Liverpool at the moment. And even though I've only ever associated one kind of sound with Liverpool, I learned that there was a lot more to be found here. I think the Liverpool music scene is incredibly broad. I mean, there's an enormous sort of rich heritage of bands that are kind of guitar-based and about four guys playing in a band. Liverpool has an enormous rich heritage with, uh, within dance music as well. I'd say at the moment there just seems to be like an emphasis in slightly psychedelic music. Definitely a lot of guitar-based stuff coming out of Liverpool at the moment and quite a lot of sort of Manchester sounds bouncing back and forwards between Liverpool and Manchester. The most famous era of its musical history may be inescapable, but these days, Liverpool is determined to defy expectations. Graham recommended that I head over to the Baltic Triangle, which is Liverpool's newest arts and culture neighborhood. It's near the old docks that made Liverpool such a shipping powerhouse in Victorian times. I walk past old red brick warehouses that have been redeveloped as everything from cafes, bars and live music venues to tech company offices and breweries. A ground level picture window on Jamaica Street lets you look right into a small audio studio. Hi, I'm uh, Josh Aitman, and I'm one of the co-founders of Melodic Distraction Radio. And I'm James Aremba, and I'm also one of the co-founders of Melodic Distraction Radio. This is Liverpool's newest independent internet music station. A DJ is playing her set at the mixing board facing the window, while the guys and I sit on some couches in the corner, drinking hot cups of tea. There's a massive scene for music in Liverpool, but it's, it's really kind of like hidden behind closed doors, and you need to kind of search for it. Mm. That's one of the reasons we set up Melodic Distraction Radio. We want it to be a platform where people who may not necessarily have a voice or have the opportunity to have their music heard can come and um, just be heard by everyone and, and shed more light on what Liverpool has to offer because there's definitely a scene here that needs to be celebrated. I think it's going to start becoming Liverpool talking to the rest of the country and showing off what it can do and getting out from underneath this like massive shadow and letting people know that Liverpool's a happening city when it comes to music. It's time for me to head back to the station to catch my train to the next city. But thanks to Graham, Josh and James, I'm leaving town with a list of new local bands to listen to on the way. And now a word from American Airlines. With 24 daily non-stop flights from the US to Great Britain, you can enjoy more choices across the Atlantic with American Airlines. No matter what you need, they'll get you where you need to go when you need to get there. Discover more at aa.com. Hey, my name's Ash Phillips and I'm born and raised in Bristol. Bristol's such a fantastic city and there's so much I could talk about, but one local recommendation I would make for Ali to come and see is the incredible street art that we have all over the city. It really encompasses the creative vibe that the city has and all of the creativity that runs throughout everything commercial and personal here. You've probably heard of Bristol's most famous street artist, 
just some guy named Banksy. Turns out there's a huge graffiti scene here that flourishes far beyond him. Thanks to these artists, Bristol is considered the street art capital of Europe. Every summer, a half-mile stretch of North Street, which runs through the areas of Southville and Bedminster, is converted into the open-air gallery of Upfest, an urban art festival. During Upfest, hundreds of artists from around the world cover the fences, brick walls, and metal roll-up shutters of this neighborhood with colorful, complex works of art. My name's Jack Duns. I'm part of the Paintsmiths. We're a collective of mural artists who paint murals and commercial art uh, in Bristol and the Southwest. I've never spoken with a street artist before. I'm fascinated by this culture that I see everywhere but know so little about. I think a lot of people's perception, uh, stereotype of street art is, you know, like a bunch of 16-year-olds with spray cans, just teenage boys running around and tagging things, and there's so much more to street art. There is a bit of a um, snobbery around um, what is and isn't, you know, street art and what is and isn't graffiti and what is and isn't acceptable. And yeah, I, you, like, you, you know, it's a whole spectrum and, and what's one person's mess is, you know, someone else's masterpiece. And um, some of the people that are painting some of the nicest stuff you'll see and, and that you really rate probably started off as a 14-year-old kid running around with spray paint. It's where you learn your craft, you know what I mean? So you have to kind of take the rough with the smooth it's a really democratic form, isn't it? It's a really, real yeah. people's art form. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And it's like constant dialogue. That's Tom Sledmore, another artist from the Paintsmiths. Like all the walls in Bristol, they're constantly changing. So like, it doesn't matter who's, who's painting or what. Like, you can't be too precious about it because it, it just gets painted over immediately afterwards. Like, not immediately. If you paint something good, obviously, then it might get left for a little bit longer. But it's just the natural progression. It's like... The sort of organic way it, it, it flows. Some other art forms like might be a little bit more static, whereas graffiti is just constantly evolving. There's just one question I've been saving for last. So, uh, do you know Banksy? No. Uh, <laughs> do you know his secret identity? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I had to ask. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. All right. Yeah. I'm talking to Jack and Tom on the corner of a residential street in St. Paul's, an African-Caribbean neighborhood of Bristol, where I've been watching them bring a huge mural to life. Jack is now high in the air on a cherry picker, where he's spraying the purple head wrap of a smiling older woman. Her name is painted at the bottom, Dolores Campbell. At street level, another artist is painting in the red petals of one of the hibiscus flowers that line the mural's edge. My name is Michelle Curtis. I am an artist, illustrator, and graphic designer, and I am the founder of Iconic Black Bristolians and the Seven Saints of St. Paul's Project. Cool, and so tell me about this uh, mural in the background. So this mural in the background is the the second of the Seven Saints of St. Paul's murals, and it's all about celebrating the history and legacy of the 1968 St. Paul's Festival and its founders, who are all from the African-Caribbean community in Bristol. And, and is that your community as well? Yes, it is my community. I am a first-generation Jamaican. My parents are Jamaican. They came over in the 60s. 
and I was born here. So all these people are community elders. A couple of them are still with us, some have passed away. And it's all about kind of um, celebrating the history of contributions made by the African Caribbean community to the city of Bristol and to the UK and contemporary British culture but also celebrating how far we've come. Obviously, there's still work to be done, but if it wasn't for pioneers like our community elders, Bristol wouldn't be deemed as the diverse city that it is today. One of these contributions was a significant civil rights victory. In 1963, activists in St. Paul's, including Dolores Campbell, organized a four-month boycott of the local bus company, which successfully broke their color bar of not hiring Black and South Asian British people for jobs. The boycott in Bristol led to other actions around Great Britain, and eventually to the country's first racial anti-discrimination laws two years later. And she was also one of the co-founders of the uh, St. Paul's Carnival, which happens here in Bristol annually. We've just celebrated the 50th anniversary this year, and that was kind of the aim behind the project, that people can learn about the history of St. Paul's Carnival, learn about the history of St. Paul's, and learn a bit about the black history in Bristol. So now, thanks to Michelle Curtis, these seven saints, who fought for the community of St. Paul's and for people of color across the country, will now become a permanent part of the neighborhood. The multicultural story of Bristol and Great Britain is being painted right onto the bricks for everyone to see. I was looking forward to visiting Bristol, but I honestly didn't know much about it, except that my favorite trip-hop band started here. What surprised me was how much I loved Bristol. It's got all the benefits of a large city, but it's so much more laid back. There are no giant skyscrapers, Everywhere I walked, I saw the wide blue sky above. And down the side streets in Bedminster, I'd catch glimpses of the countryside just beyond, with rolling green hills marked out by low hedges and dotted with sheep. It's a creative town, too, with theater companies and art museums. Plus, I counted 20 summer festivals, including the St. Paul's Carnival. As my train rolled out of Bristol, I found myself wondering if I could figure out some way to live there for a couple of years. And as a native New Yorker, when I like a city so much I can imagine living there, well, that's about the best compliment I can offer. I Travel For is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with American Airlines, British Airways and Visit Britain. If listening to Welsh singing in Ali's episode made you want to travel to Great Britain, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can learn more about their adventures on our website, partners.slate.com slash itravelfor. Music composed by Alexis Quadrado. This episode features songs Moving to the City by Tracky, Reflections by Shards, and High May by Uzu. I'm Hattie Pearson. Thanks so much for listening, and please join us next time.